shifting sands that transcends all the reason of man. But the things that matter the most in this world, they can never be held in our hands. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I believe whatever the cause. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to that old rugged cross. I believe that the Christ with its great mystery surely someday will come to Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. Okay. That was good. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. 
know, sometimes we Christians are notorious for talking about joy, <laughs> but sometimes it's not the easiest thing to have. Someone asked C.S. Lewis one time, why do the righteous suffer? Why not, he said. They're the only ones who can handle it. <laughs> I like that, don't you? I, I wish we could all answer that way. It happens, if happiness ha depends on happiness or circumstances, what happens when loved ones die, what happens when health goes, what happens when the savings is suddenly lost? Often happiness flees and despair sets in quickly, doesn't it? But in contrast to that is joy. Running deeper and stronger, joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work going on in our lives. Happiness depends on happiness, joy on Christ. When people who are suffering and they need help, who do they, who do they go to? somebody that has felt the same pain. And if they, if they come to us and they don't sense that we've really been there, they'll go find someone else who has. Joy doesn't mean that we're always chipper people. It doesn't mean that we're always bouncy, chipper people. It also doesn't mean that we're always solemn and serious. That's, you know, we're not we're not performers. But we should be able to feel what people feel. People around us need to see the crucified Christ ministering to them with blood on his hands. They need to see us able to sing with all of our hearts in the midst of our trials. If we don't have this to offer, then what do we really have to offer the lost world? So I've entitled this message now with you, What the World Really Needs from the Church. So let's, let's start by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 3 through 10. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. <coughs> by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by, un by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Paul's reminding the Corinthians that they need that they, are, that they are a new creation <coughs> and that they are ambassadors to the lost world for Christ. And he appeals to them that 
to, to not receive the grace of God in vain. So he describes their sufferings. Instead of becoming bitter and resentful in many of these instances that he covers in this chapter, he's, he's patient and he's loving and he's maintained an outward focus. His spirit has not been broken. Instead of complaining, he's trusting Christ and keeping his attention on serving others because that's what we're called to do as ambassadors. And he's describing these paradoxes in the Christian life. He says, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in necessities, in distresses. I die every day, but we're still more alive than most. You see us as punished, but we're not dead. God has spared us again and again. In all the trials and sufferings that we've experienced, we continue to walk by faith, not by sight. Willing to be absent in the body and present with the Lord. So whether absent or present, we may be accepted by him. So we are to put no obstacle in believing in anyone's way, but commend ourselves, our God, and commend our gospel to those around us who are watching closely. In verse 5, when whipped, charged, and imprisoned falsely, when overworked and sleepless and without food, we're trusting in our Lord. You see us as poor, but we are making many rich in, in Jesus. As I said this morning, we traveled to many different towns in the spring and summer to do the dental work. And um, I, at that time, I, you know, over here we planned for things. Over there, I didn't, I never knew what to expect. Um, I had no assistant. Um, I didn't know how many hours we were going to be working. Um, I didn't know if I'd get fed or not, um, where I would sleep. Nothing was told to me. By 5, 6 o'clock in the evening, I, I'd be worn out. I remember one day there was um, a kindergarten. We, we, were, we were taking care of kindergarten children. And we worked in one, one small room, both of us dentists side by side, like you saw in the video. And, you know, kindergarten children are kindergarten children, and they're always afraid of the dentist. And one of them gets started yelling and screaming, and pretty soon the whole line is screaming. It's like a brush fire. It's, it's every dentist's nightmare, I promise. Something, and so we would never, never, never approach doing clinic like this in the States because we know better. But over there, they don't have the choice. They don't have two rooms to use. So, you know, working all day, by the end of the day, by, by 5, 6 o'clock, I was frazzled. I mean, from all the screaming and all of the attempts to try to, exp you know, getting down on your hands and knees and saying, you know, over and over, oh, honey, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to hurt you. All day long, begging, it wears you out. And, you know, I, I lift myself up at one point, and I remember I looked, I looked at the door, and, you know, there's still a line. 
and there was something inside me that just wanted that, that that just couldn't take anymore. I was just beyond help. And I I finally, you know, this is one of the times that I didn't do so well. <laughs> I finally went up to my my director and I just, you know, took her aside and I said I said, "Ma'am, I, I I have to I have to leave. I I have to leave. I'm very sorry, but I've done all I can do today." And, you know, she just looked at me and she didn't say anything. And I gathered my things quietly and, and left. And I just took a long walk and throughout town and kind of got my breath. And I came back later and um, I couldn't believe it. I looked from a distance and, you know, seven, it was now 7, 7.30 and they were still, the line was still outside and they were still working. And so I, I uh, decided to get a bite to eat. So I had a little bite to eat at this little, little diner there in town. Came back about 8.30, the line was still there. They're still working. They worked until 11 o'clock on those kindergarten kids. And I sat out there whole, just, just thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing here? I mean, this is just crazy. They're, they're trying to do the impossible. And then, then we're gonna have to come back the next four days and, and do the same thing over and over again. And. Um, I remember I laid down that night, and you know I really didn't know exactly what they thought about this, you know, my leaving like that. And I lay down that night, and my conscience hurt me, and I I realized that I had done the wrong thing, and I I just had to repent, and just admit to the Lord that I had gone against my conscience, that I that at that time there was a hesitation in my spirit, but I didn't listen to it. I just let myself get overwhelmed, and. Um, so the next morning, I, I went in and I apologized to my director and just explained what had happened and um, told her that I'm confident that I could work through the days now and she didn't have to worry about me. And she was real happy about that and thanked me for, for talking to her. And we were able to go ahead and finish the, the days and it worked out fine. But it was, it was just one of these times in our life where we feel like we've reached our limit. And, and what do we do when we get to that point? Well, we, we need to communicate for one thing, don't we? Communicate, communicate, communicate. But the thing that, that I believe that Paul's trying to make a point about in this is, is that we're, we're never alone in the deal. That we're never just walking this planet alone, dealing with these, these stresses in our life. That Christ is always with us always giving the grace that we need to be able to handle our situations gracefully and properly and to bear the burdens that we have to go through. And so that just because they maybe don't do it the way that we're used to them doing it, we can still have room for that. And we can still persevere and make it to the end on our feet. We have that in us to do. And it's a wonderful gift to have. If you live this way, some will honor you and some won't, but we know that God will honor it. And we know that he will use it, that even the smallest situation where we're willing to persevere and to accept God's grace as we go through times like that, God, we can always be assured that God is not going to just toss that out and, and, and waste that. He will never do that. 
verse 9, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed. Verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. So this is an amazing paradox, isn't it, about the Christian life? And, and, and so he's, he's really talking about that contentment thing and the fact that we have the ability to have little or much, that we can always count on God's grace to be sufficient for us. Amen? I remember when I got home in, in, um, in April, I got, a, I got an email from these two guys that I was living with before I came back. They had an apartment in the, big, in the city. And uh, this fellow that had owned the apartment was also a missionary. And he, he, uh, he sent me a note saying that he had allowed this Mongolian guy who said he was a missionary getting ready to go into the countryside of Mongolia himself. And he was preparing to do that. He said he, he needed a place to stay in the city before he left and that he was, he was needing a, a, a room for two weeks. So my friend graciously accepted his, his offer and let him come and, and, and live there. Well, two days after he arrived, my friends you know, gave him a key and they left to go do some errands that day and when they came back, everything was gone. Yeah, I, I don't even think he left a shaving cream. All their computers, tablets, clothes, pictures, furniture, the whole place had been ransacked within a two-hour period of time. And, you know, of course, it was a sorrowful time. It was, that's a heavy thing. And he expressed that. But by the end of his little letter to me, he was also expressing his utmost faith in Christ and that he trusted that somehow, some way, God was in control of this Allowed, had allowed it for the right reason and that would bring an acceptable end to it and that he was trusting in that all the way. Isn't that refreshing to me? That was refreshing to me to hear that because it's a heavy thing to be in Mongolia and lose all your valuables. Pictures of, of being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So we're commending ourselves through the value of Christ, opposite of the way that the prosperity preachers talk about it. This removes the obstacle that some, someone might be in it for the money or for the perks in the ministry or for worldly benefits. Paul's making sure that these Corinthians understand this so that people won't make professions of faith in order to get the stuff. No one can come to Christ properly with that kind of an impression of the Christian life. Christ must be seen on the Calvary road in order to receive him properly. As servants of God, showing that we know Christ and walk with Christ is better than all the world's niceties. Christ is real and infinitely worthwhile to us, more than sleep and comfort, and even the having to listen to the screaming children all day. What do we say to the world around us? We say, come. 
We're not chipper people all the time, nor are we cold or angry people, but we are sorrowful and acquainted with grief. But come. In Matthew 5.11, it says, Blessed are you when men revile and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Our reward will come later. And then right after this, in verse 13, 14, he says, You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And what he means is that the taste of life that people are aching for is people who, when all gives away, their joy doesn't. That's salty. And that's, that's a bright light in a dark room. The light of the glory of God upon the world that we live in. That's the picture of Jesus that's worth something. In Philippians 4.4, 4, we see a picture of Paul. In fact, let's, let's go there now. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. This was Paul's message. This was, this was Paul's stand. Rejoice in the Lord always. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, yet I can still rejoice. The anguish of my family member going to hell, doing all that I can do to try to reach them. And they are not trusting me. They think I'm crazy. But I bear this daily, and it's an unceasing anguish. Yet again, I say, rejoice. This is why God's people should be able to weep when others weep. This is why we, we are able, we have the capacity to do that genuinely with people. Because we, we don't run from that. We're not people who are spending our life trying to resist it or to find a way of escape from it. We're willing to embrace it in our lives and to keep looking above, keep looking up by faith, not by sight. So there you are with someone who's rejected you and you say, I want so bad for you to, that you would believe and be a follower of Christ so that we can know each other better, we can be together here and be together later. It's not an accident that the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, go there for a moment. Romans chapter 8 ends with Paul doing everything in his power to make this clear to the people. 
Verse 31. What shall we say? What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all all things? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. By the supernatural power of God's Holy Spirit, we have the ability to live in victory in the midst of our suffering. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is, I think, really the commodity that we have to give, isn't it? To be able to be in the face of of sorrow and grief and be able to still have the, the, the real joy of knowing Christ. Knowing his purposes, his presence in our life, his constant work behind the scenes to fulfill his plan and purposes for, for life. And that nothing is by chance. No coincidences. Nothing is the roll of the dice. Never am I put in a situation that was a mistake. But always I'm a part and have a role to play that God is using to bring honor and glory to his name if we will just play along, if we will just roll with the punches, if we will just remember that his grace is always sufficient. So in closing, in closing when you're experiencing sorrow and, and suffering, let the world see your joy. Let's renew our dedication to present this precious commodity that we share with the lost world around us, wherever we are. And by laying this kind of foundation, we surely will be deemed worthy of sharing the the gospel of Christ with them. If they can see this in us, if they can see the reality of this in our lives when they observe us, credibility comes with that. And a much more, much more much more of a willingness to listen to what we have to say. When when we have that characteristic about us, the one, the, the, the spirit and the testimony of that in our life, then sharing the gospel becomes a natural thing. People see it as genuine and they're, they become willing to listen. So you pray for me that I would have that in me when I go back and that when I get with the people, the young people that God's going to put in my, in front of me and be faced with the new challenges that I would be able to face that with, with real joy and always, always trusting that the Lord is with me and I will pray for you in all that you're doing here at home and all that you're, all the challenges and the difficulties that you face that you always look to that commodity to share. And the world will thank you for it.
Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.